Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 35 through 43. If you're just joining us, uh, this fall we've been working our way through a sermon series entitled Encounters with Jesus. And we've been uh, taking a look at these various encounters that all kinds of different people have uh, with Jesus and how those encounters inform our lives, what we can learn and draw uh, from these various accounts. And uh, this morning we meet a man who... Uh, meets the person that he's been waiting his entire life for. And so, if you would, give attention as I read from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, uh, we do thank you that what we just sang is true. Uh, that we can bring everything to you in prayer. Uh, that you hear us, that you care for us, that you're our good shepherd, that we're your sheep. And so we pray now that you would uh, be that great physician that we uh, so desperately need you to be. That by your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts. Uh, would you bring life where there's death? Would you bring light where there's darkness? Would you be, bring peace where there's despair? Oh Lord, we pray that you would meet us here. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. When I was about 10 years old, I remember uh, being part of our youth group at our church. And there was a number of us who were piled into the back of a pickup truck that was uh, had hay bales throughout it. And we were riding along and we were going to some kind of a festival. And my best friend at the time at church was a guy named Derek Anderson. And um, Derek was one of the few kids I knew at the time who wore glasses. Most of the kids that age weren't really wearing glasses. And so I remember just saying, hey, Derek. Can I borrow your glasses? And I was just thinking it would be cool to try them on. And when I put his glasses on, um, something that I did not expect to happen actually did happen. And I could see a whole lot better with his glasses than I could see without him. I, I thought I could see very clearly. I thought that I was fine. I thought my vision was perfect and that Derek was the one uh, with the imperfect vision. But actually, uh, Derek had uh, the lenses that he needed in order to see clearly, and I didn't. And so shortly thereafter, mom, mom and dad took me to the doctor, and that's when I started uh, wearing glasses. Now I wear contacts. But I tell that story because one of the things that Tim Keller says in the introduction to his book, The Prodigal God, if you haven't read that book, please do read it. But he says this, and I want you to let this kind of uh, settle on you. He says, one of the signs that you may not grasp the unique, radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain you do. 
Let me say it again. One of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain you do. In a sense, what he's saying is, is that you can be so certain that you see clearly when, rea- when in reality you are blind. You can be so certain that you see clearly that when in reality you are blind. You know, we know that to be true. And that's one of the things that's troubling, especially to a pastor, is that there are people who darken the door of worship every single week. They've been doing it since they were little. And now perhaps they're old and advanced in years. And one of the things that they uh, perhaps describes them or characterizes them as they come to worship or as they approach God or as they live their life is that they are absolutely certain that they get the gospel, that they grasp it. But one of the things that we know about the gospel is that the gospel is two things, that it's both truth, it's information, and it's power. That it's a living thing. And I think sometimes we can be very aware of the truth of the gospel, but not experience the power of the gospel. We might say it this way. This is the wrong way to say it, but this is the way we might say it. That the gospel can become stale to people who have walked with God for a long time. Of course, we know that's not true because the gospel is not what becomes stale. So really the right way to say it would be this, that people themselves can become stale to the truth and the power of the gospel. That we as Christians can believe that we see Jesus oh so clearly when we don't see him at all. One of the exercises that one of my professors did every year in one of his classes in seminary was he would ask everyone in the class to please raise their hand if they were led to Jesus by someone who now has abandoned the faith. And it was surprising because every time he said that it was always the same, that about one-third of the class would raise their hand. So one-third of the people in the class who had been brought to Christ had been brought to Christ by someone who presently denies the faith. You see, we can think we see clearly when we don't. Now, I want to give you, I want to let you behind the curtain just a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I actually don't really like the uh, secret sauce or whatever, the special sauce they have at In-N-Out Burger, but maybe you like the, the special sauce. I don't think it's really all that special, but, you know, I'm sure they do because it's their recipe. But I want to let you behind the special sauce of kind of the sermons and how sermons and how Bible reading go. You know, there's a method to the madness, so to speak. And it's really not that secret and it's really not that special. But every sermon is the same. Every sermon presents two things because I would suggest to you that every passage in the Bible presents two things. The one thing that every sermon does and every passage does is is that it exposes our need. That we're not whole. That we have needs. And so every sermon exposes our need. And the second thing that every sermon and every passage in the Bible does is it reveals God's remedy. It reveals God's solution. That we have a sickness and we need a remedy. That we are in the dark and we need the light. And every sermon and every scripture does that. And so that's what we're going to see this morning is that there's two things I want you to see. The first is our need and the second is God's provision. It's a real simple story but it exposes our most fundamental need. And so what is that need? And here's the need, and this is my prayer, and this is my hope. This is what I hope the Lord will do by His grace in all of our lives this morning. Our need is simply this. We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. And that's why I said earlier that some of you believe that you see Jesus. 
But are you certain that you see Jesus? Are you absolutely sure that you see Jesus? Because what we need more than anything in the world is we need to see Jesus. The context for the passage is Jesus is traveling with his disciples and they are almost to Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. There are tens of thousands at the very least. Perhaps there might even be hundreds of thousands of people that are descending on Jerusalem for the Passover. And as they travel along, we read that they come upon a blind man. Verse 35. And as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I don't mean this in a condescending sense, but we're familiar with that. We live in Dallas, and so you can't get off any exit on 635 or on the tollway or on Central without seeing at least one or more people that are there begging with signs. And they're begging because they're suffering with all kinds of different ailments, and so this would have been something that would have been very familiar to those traveling to Passover. And again, not to mean this in a rude way or an insensitive way, but this was, of course, the Super Bowl for beggars. Okay, because they've got thousands of people coming by. This is the opportunity to get while the getting's good. And so as they're traveling along, this blind man hears the crowd going by and he asks a question, verse 36. And hearing the crowd going by, the blind man inquired what this meant. And they answered and they told him. The crowd said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. You see, that's how they associated people, you know. Like Jesus of Nazareth, John of Dallas, Rob of Greenville, the guy's name and where he's from. And so Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And, of course, the blind man is depending on the people who can see to tell him what it is that they see because he's needing to see through their eyes. He's needing them to tell him what it is that they see, and that's exactly what they do. And then do you notice what he does? He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, we're going to get into that more in a minute. But one of the problems, like when you're doing your normal Bible reading, we get to that point and we're just like, okay, there's like, that's like code Bible language. Like, we just breeze on by that. We don't realize that, that that's just packed with information that we need to understand. We're just like, okay, that's a little bit strange. I guess he had like a catchphrase, a name for Jesus. But, of course, it was a lot more than that. But this man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And look what happens in verse 39, which should actually take us back to the previous account. Remember when all the, the young moms and dads were bringing their, their newborns and their young children and their unborn children to Jesus and they were asking Jesus to bless them and the disciples were running you know, interference for him and they were saying, hey, Jesus is way too important for these babies and for these little children. And Jesus said, no, I'm actually not too busy and don't do anything to stand in their way. Let the little children come to me. Now we have something similar. There's a blind man who's begging for Jesus' attention and now the crowd are saying, hey, shut up, man. Be quiet. Stay out of this. He's way too important for you. Just mind your own business. Go back to begging. Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. He's got no time for you. That was the general consensus. But then notice what happens with the man. Look in verse 39. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He won't let him go. He's not going to let Jesus pass him by. And then Jesus does something that's absolutely amazing. And this really should grab our attention. He stops. Jesus hears the man. Jesus stops. Now, why does, the, why does Jesus stop when this man begs him to stop? Now, of course, the kind of 
again, don't mean this insensitively, but the thoughtless answer is, well, because he's Jesus, and that's what Jesus does is he stops. But that's really not really what's going on here. Why? What grabs Jesus' attention uh, by this man? Well, this man understands something that even Jesus' disciples don't understand. This man, uh, he knows something that the crowd obviously doesn't know and that even Jesus' disciples don't know. This man who is blind actually sees something that the crowd doesn't see and that Jesus' disciples don't see. And what is it? What does he understand? What does he know? What does he see? And it's real simple. He understands and he knows and he sees his desperate need for Jesus. He sees how desperately he needs Jesus. Um, you see, he sees his need for the Messiah. Jesus is his only hope. Jesus is the one he's been waiting all of his life for. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Lord's appointed and the Lord's anointed. Jesus is the one who has prophesied, predicted, and promised. Jesus is not merely Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the son of David. He is the one who has prophesied by Isaiah, by the Psalms, by the entire Old Testament. Jesus is the one the whole world has been waiting for. That's why we read the scripture earlier this morning. If you look back to Isaiah 42, the Old Testament lesson, you'll notice in verse 6, the second part of that verse, it says this. He says, I will give you a covenant for the people, talking about Jesus, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the, the, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And then skipping down to verse 16. It says, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known, I will turn. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. You see, one of the things that was true when Messiah comes, one of the signs that Messiah is here is that the blind would see. You see, and what this man understood and what he knew and what he saw was he saw and understood and knew his deep and desperate need for Jesus. You see, the blind man had been living in the dark, but as we sang earlier, now he saw the light. But the disciples are living in the dark, and the crowd is living in the dark. Now the question might be, how do we know that the blind man, or how can we say or assert that the blind man saw the light? Well, I'll tell you, we know it because of the two things that he says. He says two things. Notice what he says. He says it twice. First time, verse 38. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, there's two things that he understands and he knows and he sees. First, he understands and he knows and he sees Jesus. That Jesus is not merely Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus is the son of David. He's the long-awaited one. And the second thing we know that he understands and he knows and he sees is himself. Because what does he cry out for? Have mercy on me. He knows that he's not whole. He knows that he's not put together. He knows that he's broken, that he's deep in this desperate state, and that Jesus is the only one who can make him whole. He saw Jesus with his heart. 
Now here's the question I want you to think about because you remember this whole first point is about our greatest need in all the world. And what is our greatest need? Our greatest need in all the world is that we would see Jesus. And so the question is this. How do you know if you see Jesus? How do you know if you see Jesus? Or maybe we might even say this. What do you say when you do see Jesus? What are the words that come out of your mouth? Um, this week we've been going through all kinds... Of, well, I've been going through all kinds of things. Kendall has too. But I was uh, going through all these tools and cleaning out my tool shed. And I had various... I had some papers that were in there from projects that we had done long ago. And I came across this check ledger of this notebook paper where I'd written a bunch of... Tracked a bunch of checks that we had paid to our neighbor when we lived in Fort Worth. A guy named Chris. And uh, Chris was a uh, man who was well acquainted with grief and trouble and sorrow, he was definitely a man who'd been wearied by the world. And when we lived in Fort Worth, what would happen is we'd be going to bed and at night we'd hear his old Ford truck uh, rear up and rev up and start running and I knew exactly what was happening. He was about to head down to the corner store uh, to get some beer or whatever kind of alcohol he could get his hands on. And he'd come back. And normally, you know, he would leave and then I would pray, Lord, help the truck come back. And we'd hear the truck because it was really loud and he'd come back. And he'd park and we'd be, he's back, he's home. Um, But one night I remember that the truck left. And I could hear hear there was a lot of noise that he was making when he was was leaving because he was angry and he was upset and he was a very emotional person. And um, he left. But tragically, he didn't come back. And so Kendall and I were really unnerved over it. He had a little schnauzer, a little dog named Ginger. He lived in the back kind of garage apartment of this older lady's house. And so I went over the next morning. I couldn't find his truck. He wasn't there. I knew Ginger was inside. I started knocking on the door. Um, He didn't come to the door. And so I went across and got this guy named Stan. And we were trying to figure it out. And finally, uh, Chris actually did walk outside. And I said, man... Am I glad to see you? I said, I was terrified. I heard your truck crank up last night, and and I I never saw you come home. And he said, hey, I'll I'll be over there in a minute. And he looked really down. And so a minute turned into probably an hour, and all of a sudden there was a knock on the door, and Chris came in. Now, he's a 46-year-old man. Um, I was pretty young at the time, and he comes in, and his eyes are red, and he is weighed down, and he grabs a hold of me, and he begins to weep on my shoulder, and he says, Rob, you're not going to believe what happened last night. He said, "Um, I got drunker than I've ever been, and I cranked up my truck, and I was driving through people's yards in the neighborhood, and I was on a death wish mission. He said, I had a friend named A.D., and he kind of cut me off, and if he hadn't cut me off, I don't know what would have happened. He's the one who brought me back home. He said, and I can't believe what I did. And he said, you know, what I've been doing for the last hour is I've been over in my, uh, my little garage apartment and I turned my shower on as high as it would go and just filled the bathroom with steam and I laid out uh, towels on the floor and I got on my hands and knees and I've been weeping because what I've been crying out is, Lord, have mercy on me. I've been praying that the Lord would have mercy on me. What do you expect the people to look like uh, who actually do see Jesus? And what do you expect the people to say who actually encounter Jesus? Because what I want to suggest to you is that what people see and what they say is the first thing that they see is they see the beauty of Jesus. But the second thing that they see is their desperate need for Him. And what they say 
when they see Jesus as this, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's what we need. Now, there's a second part, and this is the beauty of the passage, because we're not left in our need, but there's always God's provision. God's provision to us in Jesus, that Jesus alone gives sight to the blind. You see, one of the things that's tragic about man is that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And Jesus is God in the flesh, and He saw this man at the level of the heart, and Jesus stops. Again, one more question. What kind of people do we expect Jesus to stop for? Like we, we, we expect Jesus to stop for people who have their lives together. We expect Jesus to stop for people who are good people, who do a lot of good things, who are righteous in so many ways. And yet, that's not what we find when we read the Gospels. Jesus stops for men like this who understand their deep and desperate need for His mercy. And notice what Jesus does and what He does not do. Please don't let this be lost on you. This is simply amazing. It says in verse 40, And Jesus stopped and commanded Him to be brought to him. And when he came near, notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't dictate from top-down love. He doesn't say, I've assessed your situation here. As I was passing by, I noted what was going on, and now I'm going to provide a remedy, a solution. No, Jesus sits this bottom-up love. Jesus asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, some of us are kind of We've been in Bible world way too long, so we missed this passage because like 100% of the people that passed by knew exactly what this man wanted. When you ask this man, if you were walking by and you ask this man, what do you want me to do for you? You know exactly what he's going to say. He's going to say, I want you to give me some money. I need your money. I can't provide for myself. Or I need food. Or I need some, you know, I need some physical need to be met. I need what you have. We don't expect him to say, will you help me to see? A normal person walking by, the man would never say, can you help me recover my sight? That would never happen. The other thing you need to understand is that this was a very strange request even in this situation. You'll note in John chapter 9, there's another blind man that meets Jesus. And this blind man says this, John 9, 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That's like walking by and saying, well, you know, you meet somebody at the end of a Northwest Highway in the tollway and you roll down your window and you say, well, what do you want from me? And that person says, well, I want a billion dollars. Okay? Like... I really want a billion dollars. It's actually be way bigger than that. But this man says, I want, you, I want you to help me recover my sight. You see, this is more proof that the man sees Jesus. Because this man knows that when Messiah comes, Messiah and only Messiah will enable the blind to see. And in verse 42, look what happens. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. See, this man had seen him through the eyes of faith. This man's heart had been opened up so that he could understand and know and see not only his need for Jesus, but see this beautiful provision that Jesus has for him, the grace that God gives to those who come naked and with nothing in their hands, but they cling simply to Jesus. And he comes and Jesus enables this man to see again. And notice what happens after he sees. It says, And immediately, verse 43, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. 
And then we get the reaction from the people. It's not like the end. Then we get the reaction from the people. Because the people are like, jaws hit the ground, overwhelmed, like, wow. And all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Because this is unbelievable. This is unthinkable. We're, we're too conditioned to Bible world. We just read this and we don't see it. This was absolutely phenomenal. This was unbelievable what happened, what Jesus does. You see, uh, he saw Jesus through the eyes of faith. Now what happens when you see Jesus through the eyes of faith? Let me ask that again. What happens when you see Jesus through the eyes of faith? Well, we get the answer here in the passage. Uh, the first thing that happens is that you see Him. The second thing is that you follow Him. And the third thing is that you praise Him, that you glorify Him. Now, we got to think a little bit deeper here. So let's think just a little bit deeper because it's like, oh, this is great. Jesus is going to Jerusalem for Passover. This is wonderful. And, you know, the man can now see and he just takes up with Jesus because he's just so excited and he says it's just going to be a whole bunch of fun and let's just jump in on the caravan here and let's all head to Jerusalem. No, remember, this man, he knew something, he understood something, and he saw something that not even the disciples knew, saw, or understood. And let me tell you why I say that. If you don't, I know that you probably don't have your Bibles, but right before this passage, the verses right before this, let me explain to you where Jesus is going and where this man is following him. Luke 18, verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now please hear this. But they understood none of these things. But they understood none of these things. It's not like that they got a few of the things. It's not like, well, they got, you know, the heart of it they got. They missed some of the fine, fine print. No, they understood none of these things. They did not know anything Jesus was talking about. It says, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Luke says it twice. They didn't understand it. They didn't grasp it. They had, they were clueless. They did not know where Jesus was going. They did not understand what awaited him. They did not understand what he was saying to them. But I want to suggest to you, I don't know what kind of insight this blind man had, but he at the very least had more than they had. He understood something about where Jesus was going. He wasn't going to the palace. Jesus was going to the place, which was the very reason that the blind man recovered his sight. You see, I would suggest to you that perhaps this is what drew this man to Jesus. Because... As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the Messiah would be despised and rejected, just like the blind man. That he would be a man of sorrows, just like the blind man. That he would be one who is well acquainted with grief, just like the blind man. That he would be one from whom men hide their faces. We're all guilty of it, aren't we? When we drive to the end of that exit and we see that person standing there, and we do our very best not to see them, not to look at them, not to acknowledge their humanity and their presence, that he would be one from whom men hide their faces just like the blind man. See, as Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought, our, brought peace to us was placed upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
see, there's something really interesting that happens just a couple of chapters later in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 22, verse 63, listen to what happens to Jesus. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking Him as they beat Him. And I want you to think about what the blind man would have thought when this happened. And they also blindfolded Him and kept asking Him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? You see, Jesus became blind in a very sense so that we could see. You know, that's what the prayer is, is that, oh, that we would see Jesus. I've got way too many favorites. I know I have too many favorites. Kendall's asked me, like, how many favorites? I don't know. Maybe i got a hundred favorite hymns. I don't know. But one of my favorite hymns is entitled None Among. Listen to these lyrics. When by faith my Lord I see bleeding on the cross for me. Quick, my idols all depart. Jesus gets and fills my heart. None among the sons of men, none among the heavenly train can with Jesus e'er compare. None so sweet, none so fair. And then there's this this little refrain, and and I want you to hear these lyrics too, because this is amazing. He says, Idols crowd my heart and mind, and demand I shed my blood. But the Lord who is the Christ has secured me in the flood. He has secured me in the flood. You know why? Because none among the sons of men, none among the heavenly train can with Jesus air compare. None so beautiful, none so fair. You see, my friends, we have these idols that crowd our hearts and our minds, and, and there's, they kind of live on two different tangents, and that some of us are living on this tangent, where we have all these idols. We're giving our lives to our success, to our money, to the success of our children, to our own beauty and our fitness, to all of our connectedness, to all these things that the the world has to offer to all the things that we believe we can earn in and of ourselves. Our entire life rests on those things. They crowd our hearts and mind. They prevent us from seeing Jesus because we believe that those things can make us whole. We know that we might be like the blind man and that we would see Jesus and that we would know that only the Messiah can make us whole. There's others of us that are on another tangent. Our hearts and our minds are crowded with the idol of self-righteousness. We believe that we can be good enough. We believe that we can live up to God's standard. We believe that we can earn His favor. We believe that in and of ourselves we can put a smile on His face. That we're trying to be good enough. And oh, they crowd our heart and mind. But oh, that we would see Jesus. That by faith we would see our Lord Jesus bleeding on the cross for us. That we would see Him there. And that then quick our idols would depart. That Jesus would fill our hearts. Oh, that we would see Jesus. And then we would follow Him. And that we would glorify Him. I was telling you about my friend Chris, uh, my neighbor. There's a lot of stories about Chris, but um, I remember there's no time that's sweeter to me in the church than Advent, and thankfully it's right around the corner. And I invited Chris to come to church uh, with us at Fort Worth Presbyterian Church in Fort Worth. And I told him exactly what time the service started. And so we got into our seat, and I was waiting for him. And I just, I was totally distracted for the entire service because I was waiting on him to get there. I kept looking at wondering when he was going to come because he kind of had a distinct look about him. And I knew when he walked in that he was going to look kind of like a fish out of water. And so I wanted to be there to run and kind of bring him to sit with us. And finally, we got to the last hymn, Joy to the World. 
And the door's open, and there's Chris. <laughs> He's walking in. I get him back. I'm like, come on in, man. So, you know, everybody, please stand for Joy of the World. So we stand to sing Joy of the World. That perhaps greatest lyric in any Christmas hymn. He's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So we're sitting there, and we're singing Joy of the World. And I look at Chris, and all of a sudden, boom, he bolts out. I'm like, he just got here. Hasn't even been here for 20 seconds. And he bolts out, and he's back out in the narthex. So I, I probably told the family, like, hey, I'm going to slip out. So I went out, and I was like, what's going on? He's sitting in a chair. He's like, I can't be in there. I can't sing these songs. I can't be with those people. It was all about I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be with them. I'm not good enough to be in their presence. I'm not good enough to be before Jesus. And yet it's people like Chris that I hope see this passage because God doesn't stop for the good people. You see, what made this man, uh, excuse me, what made Jesus stop for this man? Because this man cried out, first time loudly, second time louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to I ask you this, and I'd, I'd love for you to think about this for the rest of the day. I hope this is true. You know, we learn a lot of great prayers. One of the prayers we pray every week is the Lord's Prayer. Of course, our prayers aren't, you know, uh, they don't earn credit with God. But, you know, one of the prayers that we ought to adopt and ought to pray all the time in our lives is this very short prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever, you know, maybe you can do it your own version, but in your own sense, have you ever packed the bathroom floor with the towels, turned on the hot water, filled the room with steam, come unhinged, laid on your face and cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know how beautiful he is? Do you know how badly you need him? That's my prayer is that we together, that each one of us, that we would see Jesus.